0: Hi again everybody, I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Old Man Rivers edition. As we dissect a tough loss in Indianapolis as the Bengals jumped out to a 21-0 second quarter lead before 38-year-old Phillip Rivers rallied the Colts to a 31-27 win. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, post-game comments from players and coaches, and in-depth analysis from Dave Lappel. And this week's Fun Facts segment is with defensive tackle Christian Covington, as he discusses growing up in Vancouver as the son of a Canadian football league legend. The Bengals Booth podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since... The Java Whip. One of my favorite guilty pleasures is sold at the Old Milford Parlor Coffee and Ice Cream Shop on Main Street in Milford. It's called the Java Whip. It's an espresso milkshake made with locally roasted espresso and vanilla soft-serve ice cream. I'm here to tell you that if God enjoys milkshakes, then this is the one that he, or she, orders. Needless to say, it's not low-calorie, but it's well worth the occasional splurge. Get yourself a Java Whip at the Old Milford Parlor. Now, let's get to Sunday's game. A battle between the kid, Joe Burrow, and a quarterback with nine kids, Philip Rivers. He's 15 years older than Burrow and 17 months older than Bengals head coach Zach Taylor. But the day didn't start well for Rivers. His second pass of the game was fumbled without contact by veteran tight end Jack Doyle. And Bengals newcomer Xavier Williams recovered at the Colts' 43-yard line. Seven plays later, the Bengals found the end zone. It is third down and goal from the two-yard line. Burrow in the shotgun. Giovanni Bernard is checked in at running back. Higgins motions toward the formation. Burrow catches the shotgun snap, gives it to Giovanni Bernard. Gio goes into the end zone, standing up. And the Bengals have scored on their opening drive.
1: Nice push inside. Trey Hopkins. Michael Jordan, take a bow.
0: That was the first opening drive touchdown allowed by the Colts in their last 18 games, ending the longest active streak in the NFL. But the Bengals were just getting started as they rolled the dice to score again on their second drive. Looks like the Bengals are going to go for it, so they're going to pass up the chip shot field goal and go for it on fourth down and one from the Indianapolis two-yard line. Samaje Pirine checks in and lines up like a fullback. Burrow will run a quarterback sneak, and he's got the first down, and he might make it into the end zone. He's going to be, yes, they give him a touchdown signal, so the Bengals go for it on fourth and one from the two, and Joe Burrow, quarterback sneaks into the end zone. Michael Jordan, keep coming off the football, my man. Trey Hopkins, Michael Jordan,
1: control that line of scrimmage, nothing fancy. Just snuggle up behind your center and your left guard and just hammered up in there.
0: Two drives, two touchdowns. Why stop there? The Colts send a blitz from the edge. Burrow throws deep downfield. It is caught by T. Higgins. Streaking down the sideline. 20, 10, 5, and tackled at the two-yard line. On third and nine, Burrow throws a perfect spiral down the sideline to fellow rookie T. Higgins. The throw went 29 yards down the field, and Higgins ran for 38 yards after the catch for a 67-yard gain on the final play of an impeccable first quarter. On the first play of the second quarter, the Bengals took a 21-point lead. First and goal from the seven after the five-yard penalty. Burrow catches the shotgun snap, sticks it in the gut of Joe Mixon, Uh charging down Uh toward the goal line, waiting for the signal, and he is stopped Uh just short. Uh No, there's Uh, the touchdown signal. It the far him. side official did not give it to him. The near side official eventually did. It's a seven-yard touchdown run by Joe Mixon. It obviously will be reviewed. This is dominance. In every possible way. At that point, Burrow had 153 passing yards to only thirty-three for Rivers. And the Bengals had nine first downs to the Colts one. Here's T. Higgins.
1: You know, we came in with the mentality that we gotta go out here and you know dominate. And you know, that, You guys saw that the first quarter, Um, we just, uh,
0: I don't know what happened in the second, you know, I guess we just let off the gas and we can't do that. We got to stay full full throttle the whole game and, you know, finish it out. The Colts' comeback started with an 87-yard touchdown drive. Rivers hit Marcus Johnson for a 55-yard gain down to the one-yard line and Indy scored two plays later. And they're going to line up in a Wildcat-type formation. And it is a run into the end zone for the score by Trey Burton. You remember Trey Burton, the tight end who threw the Philly special touchdown pass in the Super Bowl to Eagles quarterback Nick Foles. He'll never have to pay for a beer in Philadelphia for the rest of his life. His one-yard run made it 21-7. The Bengals answered with their fourth scored as many drives as Randy Bullock's 47-yard field goal made it 24-7. But Rivers and Burton struck again. Shotgun snap. Rivers looking, throws it toward the left side of the end zone, and that is caught by Trey Burton for the Colts' touchdown. It was 24-14. The Bengals still appeared to be in good shape, but they failed to get a first down on their next drive, giving Rivers the ball back with 2.58 left in the half. Plenty of time for a 75-yard drive. Rivers catches the shotgun snap, steps up in the pocket, floats it into the end zone, caught by Pascal for an Indianapolis touchdown with 15 seconds left in the half. After a slow start, Phillip Rivers passed for 234 yards in the second quarter to cut the Bengals' 21-point lead down to three. Here's Jesse Bates. Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Fame quarterback. (laughs) I mean, I know he's, he's a little older now. Um but he, he's a hall of fame quarterback. And
2: um, I feel like the whole game, he, he knew exactly what we were in. Um, every ball that he threw was almost out of bounds um, and only where the receivers can catch it. So uh, props to Phillip Rivers. Um, I think, you know, for, for us as a defense,
0: I mean, we gotta take that as a challenge. Our offense takes a 21 lead, um, 21 points should be enough in this league. The only points scored in the third quarter were scored by the Bengals, thanks in large part to a seven-time pro bowler who had his best game in nearly two years. Third down play coming up, third and seven, Burrow catches the shotgun, snap, short drop, quick slant, caught by A.J. Green for another first down and a 10-yard gain. A.J. Green starting to look like A.J. Green. A.J. Green finished with eight catches for 96 yards, and they were big catches, giving the Bengals first downs on second and nine, second and 11, 3rd and eight, third and six, third and ten, and fourth and nine. But he was upset that he failed to haul in a potential forty four yard touchdown pass in the third quarter.
2: Still got some plays out there that I, sh- I should have made the go ball. I felt like I should I should have just went up over the top of them, At least try to get the pass in the shot um instead of trying to like lay hands it. Um, um but I felt good. Um that's probably the
0: best, you know, my body felt, you know, just getting my confidence back and um playing like my old self. T Higgins, who had six catches for hundred and twenty five yards, was excited to see his favorite receiver go to work.
1: You know, AJ was AJ today, you know. I mean, it looked I was glad to see him get, you know, as many targets as he did and see him produce, you know, um, you know, get his confidence back, you know, from the uh past two seasons, you know, he's on injury
0: and you know, just seeing him go out there and just work today. A 55-yard field goal by Randy Bullock gave Cincinnati a 27-21 lead going to the 4th quarter. The 4th time in 6 games that the Bengals have had a 4th quarter lead. But in this case, it only lasted for a few seconds. First play of the 4th quarter. The Colts have it in the red zone at the 14-yard line. Rivers back to throw plenty of time, is pass into the end zone. Doyle reaches out, extends the arms, makes the catch, and ties the game with the Colts having the opportunity to take the lead for the first time on the extra point. The PAT made it 28-27, Indy. Here's Jesse Bates on surrendering the big lead. It is frustrating, man.
2: Um, we played very well. I mean, that first quarter, I, I don't think they got a first down. And then, you know we, we kind of fall apart you know when the game matters.
0: So uh, it's the same thing I've been saying all years. we got to be consistent. We got to be consistent in everything we do. The Bengals still had chances to win. After an interception by Bates, the Bengals drove to the Colts 30, where Samaje P. was stopped on third and one on his first carry of the season. In fact, his first carry in 12 games in a Bengals uniform. Down by one with eight minutes to go, The Bengals chose not to go for it on fourth and one and called on Randy Bullock. A pressure kick for Randy Bullock, a 48-yard attempt to try to give Cincinnati the lead. Harris ready to snap it back. Huber catches, puts it down. Bullock's kick is up and it is no good. It hit Uh. the right upright and bounced to the right. Uh. So with a chance to give Cincinnati a fourth quarter lead, Randy Bullock misses for just the second time all year. His 48-yard attempt is no good. Bullock is 15 for 17 this season, but man, have the two misses been costly. A 40-yard field goal by Colts rookie Rodrigo Blankenship gave Indy a four-point lead with four minutes to go, meaning the Bengals needed a touchdown on their final drive to win. Joe Burrow drove them into Colts territory with 49 seconds to go. Third down and five at the 35 of Indy. Burrow ready for the shotgun snap. Joe has the ball, throws over the middle, It oh, is is intercepted. No. Picked off at the 20-yard line by Julian Blackman, and that'll wrap it up for Indianapolis.
2: Yes, it will.
0: Here's Burrow on the pick and his performance.
2: Joe, can you take us through that last play? Uh, what did you see in that uh, interception? Uh, they're blitzing, and you know they're playing palms, which is um, basically quarters. Um, and you know, we, we saw something. Uh, I just got to make, make a better play, make a better decision. Tough one.
1: Did you see Blackman Joe on the interception at the end?
2: No, I did not. I knew he was over there somewhere. I didn't know he was that tight. The first thing you said after
1: last week's game in Baltimore was you weren't very good with your eyes today. Do You feel like you're a lot better with your eyes today?
2: Yeah, I mean, I played really well for three quarters and 14 minutes. And then one bad play and wasn't able to convert.
0: Burrow finished with 313 passing yards, his fourth 300-yard game. But Rivers finished with 371 yards and three touchdown passes and a 31-27 come-from-behind win. Here are Zach Taylor and A.J. Green on a 21-point lead that didn't last. It's a tough one to swallow for sure. You know, and, and again, we, we didn't earn it. And and just you got to challenge the team. It's it's everybody could have done one more thing to help us get this win. And um, that's all of us. That, that's the coaches, and the players, and everyone's got to be accountable to that. Um, we, we put ourselves in a tough position here, you know, with just one win. And it uh, doesn't matter if you feel like you've, you've done better than that. That doesn't matter. Your record is what you say it is, what it says that you are. And, and uh, we got to go on these wins, man. And it's tough to beat good teams on the road. Um, felt like we certainly had some opportunities. And, and we just didn't do enough to make it happen, and they did. And that's the bottom line. You get hats off to them. What, what is the difference between teams that win a lot and, and teams that don't beyond the obvious?
2: Um, I think the teams that win a lot, they do the little things right. And, um, you know, we still got to clean up some stuff. You know, like I said, I had a play that, I, you know, I should have
0: made um, good teams probably make that play. Um, so for me, I just got to continue to get, uh, try to make every play and then go from there. The Bengals are 1-4-1, and including two losses in a tie that could have been, probably should have been, wins. Up next, a home game against the Browns, who got blown out in Pittsburgh 38-7. Baker Mayfield left that game in the third quarter with sore ribs. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now, let's get some post-game analysis from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, I am going to start with a bad memory. September of 1979. Second quarter, Bengals 24, Houston nothing. Oilers came back to win 30-27 to in OT. That's the only time in Bengals history that they've squandered a bigger lead than 21 points. 21's happened a few times. That game was 24. Do you remember how sickening you felt after that game?
1: That was like, uh, yeah, that was like a gut punch, a kick below the gut, <laughs> a kick, a kick anywhere that, uh, you know, it, it would hurt the most. It, it was. It was a disgusting feeling, you know, and, and you know, it, it is like like you say when it happens to you, that's, that's the NFL. I mean, that's what can happen in the National Football League. I thought the Colts came out thinking that they could just roll their helmets out in the football field. I think that they felt like this was going to be an easy day, and the Bengals came out energized I mean ready to play and took advantage of an early turnover score right away and then boom all of a sudden it's 21 nothing and the Colts are like they're they're getting pushed around I mean their defensive front is getting manhandled and uh, they can't run the football at all and get down 21 nothing it's probably the worst thing to happen because then Reich looks at Philip Rivers and says hey it's time and I was stunned because my feeling watching him in prior games I thought make him throw the ball outside. He threw dimes outside. He threw outside routes that were in such an, like Jesse Bates was talking about in the postgame show. He threw it, it was out of bounds. The only guy that could make a play on the ball, the angle that he threw it and the feathery touch that he threw it, was his receiver. Defensive backs had no opportunity. I mean, he threw the ball with the anticipation, accuracy, and aggressiveness. He was like Phillip Rivers, you know, rewind a few few, uh, years. He was unbelievable. And that's him. In a competitive situation, man, that dude steps up. And uh, he single-handedly picked up his football team, put him on his collective shoulders, and said, let's wake up, let's start playing football. This isn't good enough for me. Let's go. I'm ready. Let's go. And, I mean, Phillip Rivers basically said, we're not going to lose this football game.
0: And they didn't. There have been six games in Bengals history where they led by 21 or more and lost five times the deficit was 21 that other game that I mentioned 1979 the deficit was 24 so of those six games Philip Rivers is responsible for two of the comebacks 2006 down by 21 at halftime leads the Chargers the team he was playing for then to 42 second half points and they come back and win and if you don't get more pressure on that guy than the Bengals were able to get today he is eventually going to carve you up he is I mean you have to get him
1: off his spot you can't let him get comfortable and comfortable wasn't the word I mean he was seeing the field he knew exactly what coverages the Bengals were in he knew exactly what route was going to beat that coverage and he had time to uh you know sit there and and, and put it in a perfect spot and you never got him off his spot and the thing that I've always admired about him for a lot of years, and he did a lot of it today. When he climbs the pocket and he's running forward, he'll throw off the most awkward footwork and still feather it and put it in a, in a perfect spot touch-wise. I will say, though, there were a myriad of times where receivers were so open. It's like, what? How can they be that open? How can they be five yards open in any any one direction? And it, it's it's remarkable. When you're 0-11-1 and in, in games that were decided by eight points or less – Something lets you down that you may not have anticipated. Bengals' pass defense was rated in the top ten in a bunch of categories going into this football game, and it got diced up. I mean, the Colts just said, we can't run the football. We don't. Know. If we run the football, we're our own worst enemy because we're eating clock. We're down three scores so quickly. We have to try to get back in this football game right away. Let's abandon the running game see if we can throw it. And I thought, man, this is going to be good for the Bengals. They've shown themselves pretty well in the past against the pass. Not today. So it's it's like, you know, the guy that's trying to put his finger in the in the holes in the dike. You know, you got a couple of them plugged up, a third one. Man, you start running out of fingers and there's too many holes too far apart to plug. It's it's incredible how one phase will step up and one that has stepped up before regresses back, and, and vice versa. It's just unbelievable. They cannot play complimentary football even within the same side of the ball one game they rush it well they can't throw it one game they throw it great they can't rush it on the flip side stop the run can't stop the pass stop the pass can't stop the run I mean it's just it's just unbelievable and the pieces keep moving you know on the chessboard they don't stay in the same spot it's like if you're a coach you don't know what to believe in what what can we do well enough what's What's something that we do well every week that we can rely on to game plan around? I'm not sure what you can come up with.
0: Joe Mixon finished with 54 rushing yards. I don't have a breakdown in front of me for the quarter-by-quarter, but I'm guessing 40 came in the first quarter and very little after that. I would agree. I mean, the
1: offensive line, my gosh, man. They're running quarterback sneaks from the one-yard line. Uh, They're running a touchdown from the eight-yard line right up the gut. It was just like a big human wedge. They just, I mean, they were just knocking them backwards. I mean, it wasn't even a contest. The, they were, there was so much adrenaline flowing. They were on such a high, and the Colts were flat, flat as a pancake. And and then it turned. And once it started to turn, you know, Buckner was getting slapped around. Then Buckner, all of a sudden, here he is rushing the passer, looking like this big, long freakazoid that he is. And, you know, he's getting his sack and doing his thing. And um, then they're making plays in the back end defensively. It's, you know, it was... It was, it was crazy. It wasn't a tale of two halves as such. It was a tale of one quarter and three quarters. I mean, it was – but still, the Bengals the Bengals didn't, you know, give away the lead until the fourth quarter of the football game, the fourth quarter of the football game. But when you have a 21-point lead and they keep creeping, 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 and then eventually take a lead on you – it's like you feel like uh, even worse than if you were, you know, if you're down 20 points. I mean, that's that's a bad feeling too. It's like here they come, oh man, here they come, here they come, and when you're, you know, now 0-11 and one in close football games, and they take the lead on you, and then they take a field goal to take four point lead, you have to score a touchdown. You know, the dynamic becomes so much different because of a missed field goal by a kicker that's had a pretty good year overall, but two critical misses, man.
0: This is game six the Bengals have had fourth quarter leads in four out of six led 13 to six in the fourth quarter in week one lost to the chargers led 17 16 going to the fourth quarter in week three wound up in an overtime tie with Philadelphia. Obviously they led and won against Jacksonville. So there's nothing negative about that. But today on top 27 21 going to the fourth. Couldn't hold on
1: sad. It really is. It's a, it's a sad commentary. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, that's what the NFL is all about, as we say every single week. The NFL, half the games are decided by a touchdown or less. A quarter of the games are decided by a field goal or less. So it comes down to the fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter, you have to make plays in critical times of the football game and have to avoid mistakes in critical times of the football game. And the Bengals just can't seem to get over the hump there. That's what it boils down to. That's why they're 0-10-1 in games decided by eight points or less.
0: The loss is discouraging, but I'm really happy that A.J. Green had a good game. He needed it. Team needed it. I don't think it's a huge exaggeration to say the city almost needed it for the way that people feel about A.J. Green. To see him struggling the way he has this year and giving up on that interception against Baltimore, not trying to tackle the guy, it was just ugly. And uh, he was maybe not the old A.J. Green in this game, but he was pretty darn good. Eight catches, 96 yards upset with himself about a deep ball that he thought he could have played differently a lot of third down fourth down type catches when they absolutely had it had to have it he got open and made the play
1: and and uh AJ Green here in the last week has um done done things that have made me respect him even more now obviously the play that he made against the the Ravens that we're talking about on the interception you know that wasn't something that you know would would be oh yeah that's i'm going to respect you know him more for that but he called himself out that's what i respect he has a you know a presser on wednesday and says i loafed and i can't do that that's not me Uh, my football uh, teammates don't expect that out of me i can't do that that's not me there's not a whole lot of guys that are a superstar like he is in his profession that would have almost a confessional like that you know on on wednesday and he cleansed himself, you know, <laughs> by doing that, I think, a little bit. And and then he, he played better. He played better today. But then in the presser, you know, the Zoom call after the game, he chastised himself for not making a play on the deep ball. Now, could the deep ball have been a little deeper where he wouldn't have had to maybe choke it down slightly? Yeah, but he, w- he didn't say anything about that. All he said was, I have to go up and attack the ball instead of trying to, you know, late show my hands late. Like, you know, I saw him happen in the game. He tried to show him late and it didn't work out if he went up and attacked it, he felt like he could have got a pass interference or a catch of the football or whatever the case may be. Um, so to to have him in that mindset to be that self-critical when he's achieved what he's achieved and he's been on the stages that he's been on, I think, you know, to me, gives me a lot more respect for the guy. And I think his teammates, particularly the young teammates, are going to be like, wow, he works harder than anybody. And He's so hard on himself, and that's what you have to do to be successful in this NFL. So I think he set another great example for younger players in the league by what he's done this last week.
0: So the seven-time Pro Bowler was back in this game. The eight-time Pro Bowler, on the other hand, Geno Atkins, was not. As far as I can tell, Zach Taylor was asked if – Gino played after the game. He said yes. He was used in third down passing situations. Well, we never called his name during the game. No tackles, no assists, no quarterback hits, uh, nothing like that for Gino Atkins. I don't know how many snaps he got, but uh, he does not show up in any way, shape, or form on the stat sheet.
1: Yeah, if it's third down, it might have been less than the 19 snaps he had the week before, uh, which were on third down. Because uh, the the, the uh, on third down, let's see defense uh they allowed seven conversions on 11 opportunities so <laughs> if he was only in on third down snaps he played less than 19 snaps so that yeah I mean, he he didn't he didn't have an impact on the football game whatsoever there's no question about it and that's that's just you know disappointing as well uh, you have guys out there like you know Covington and Xavier Williams just you know playing snap after snap giving everything they've got and uh, how can you be mad at him you know they are they are who they are they are what they are she hand a lot of money to Geno Atkins and, and can't get him on the football field because of I guess the shoulder problem and that's that's tough that's a tough dynamic because he was needed today uh, that when, when a quarterback is immobile and he's setting up seven five seven or nine yards behind the line of scrimmage the interior pressure is even more significant because they're not rolling them out. They're not naked bootlegs. They're not, uh, you know, anything, sprint outs, anything like that. So when you have a stationary object, if you can get a push
0: by bull rush or whatever in the middle of
1: the pocket, that's massive. Not today.
0: In addition to the Steelers' win over the Browns, the Ravens beat Philly 30-28. to So in the AFC North, Pittsburgh is 5-0. and Baltimore is 5-1. and The Browns are 4-2. and and the Bengals are 1-4-1. and one. Now time for something a little merrier. It's this week's Fun Facts segment where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some Fun Facts with Bengals defensive lineman Christian Covington from one of the most beautiful cities in the world, Vancouver, British Columbia, on the west coast of Canada, just north of Seattle. For somebody that's never been, describe Vancouver.
2: Oh my goodness, um... Beautiful, beautiful, and beautiful. Honestly, um, I'm kind of biased. Uh, I think everybody is with regards to their hometowns, but um, I think the proof is in the pudding. Really, once you actually are able to step foot uh, in the city called Vancouver, um, you know I mean, whatever the case may be, whether you're, uh, you know, a family person uh, trying to see whatever, whatever it be, mountains, ocean, water, wine country, um, it's one of those places that truly has everything. So it's
0: uh, it's it's kind of amazing. I grew up near Buffalo, and when I was a kid, I was devastated when our NBA franchise, the Buffalo Braves, moved west and became the Clippers. Were you heartbroken when the Vancouver Grizzlies moved to Memphis?
2: Uh, very. I'm still, I'm, I can't lie to you, I'm still a little bitter about it right now, especially when the NBA brought back those retro jerseys this year. I was just like, oh, why are you, like, why are you doing that to me? Why are you doing this to me? Just reminded me of the heartbreak. But you know what? They, um, I think, you know, basketball is going to be able to make a return to the Pacific Northwest. Whether it be, you know, Vancouver, whether it be Seattle, I think basketball has to make a
0: return. We're doing fun facts with Christian Covington. Your dad, Grover, is a Canadian Football League Hall of Famer. You were born after he retired from pro football, so you didn't get to see him in action. But what have you learned about his pro career? Oh, that he was a bad man.
2: Uh, (laughs) He was... um, no honestly my dad he's he's instilled a lot uh in me with regards to my approach to the game you know he um to be able to have a a man of his caliber you know be by my side ever since i started playing this game at a young age you know he's been my coach uh, ever since the eighth grade so to have him by my side to be able to you know and honestly just learn from other people uh what he was about his approach to the game his approach to you know how he handled himself as a professional athlete um, it's huge. You know, like you know, he was uh, you know a great man on off the field. Uh, but you know, once he was able to you know step take one step on, he was able to find that uh, find that switch and just become a monster. So, uh, I love I love hearing about that because you know everybody calls him a gentle giant. So that's what I try to be.
0: A couple of years ago, you gave him a Corvette as a birthday present. What was the backstory behind that gift? <laughs> Uh man,
2: he, Corvettes are my dad. They were my dad's favorite cars uh, growing up. You know, he grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he's wanted one ever since he was a kid. Uh, he was able to he was able to buy himself one when he got made when he uh, you know established himself in the CFL, and uh, he met my mom, and you know they had myself and my, and once my, once my middle sister came around, you know, it was looking like, you know, we had to kind of go towards, you know, the minivan section of shopping. So he had to get away with it. He had to get rid of his, you know, his toy car. You know, that was just me, you know, making the gesture a couple years ago, you know, with all the sacrifices that he's made, you know, for, for my, for my two sisters and my mom, for our, you know, for our family, you know, that was a little gesture that we wanted to do to be able to surprise him on his birthday. And, you know, the reaction we got out of him was just great. So, um, yeah, he was—I've uh, never seen my dad speechless, and we actually caught him. We could, he was basically speechless the entire day.
0: <laughs> we're chatting with Christian Covington. Any athlete that grows up in Canada gets the "Did you play hockey?" question, but I read that at your size, skates were the problem. Oh, okay. You've done your research.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, no, I, I love skating. I love hockey. I'm, I, you know, I'm still a huge. Uh, Vancouver Canucks fan so uh, hockey's I mean it's, it's it's true what they say hockey's in the blood of every Canadian um, and unfortunately yeah I never really got to truly lace up and actually play competitive hockey um, you know skating was one thing but it got to that point where yeah just my shoes my, my shoe size slash skate size was just too big uh, in high school I wore a size 17 and I was I've been a size seven I've, I've had a size 17 shoes since high school so it's been uh, you know it's been quite rough to find shoes, let alone skates. So I kind of had to give up all those dreams and I traded in the skates for the for the cleats. So I think I
0: made the right choice. It obviously worked out well. After an excellent <laughs> high school career in Canada, you went to Rice University in Houston, which isn't a football powerhouse, but it is an academic powerhouse. What other offers did you have and why did you choose Rice?
2: Yeah, recruiting out of Canada was, uh, you know, different uh, to say the least. So I had to kind of take Take advantage of every opportunity that uh, came my way. I know I was uh, recruited first and for, uh, first by Eastern Washington University, uh, did one AA school up in uh, up in Washington, and um, Rice was my first Division one offer, and then Arizona State kind of came in late. But for me, it was either um, it, it really just came down to being able to go where I was wanted. I know when Rice found out, you know, when Rice found out about me, and they were able to uh, get my tape. Uh, it came out late just because you know, you know how you know for some reason we're Canada we're somewhat behind the ball when it comes to the recruiting. Uh, we have to get better at that because there's a lot of we have a lot of great talent there, a lot of great talent uh, as far as football is concerned. so um, it that really just came down to being able to go to a place that truly wanted me and then you know, from the academic standpoint, that was huge for my parents. My mom, uh, my mom was one of my biggest advocates with regards to education uh, growing up. You know, I wasn't allowed to play football in high school unless I made honor roll. So that was the agreement that we all made uh, as a family, and especially with my sisters. You know, they were track and field. They played collegiately down in the U- in the U.S. as well. So that was a rule no sports unless you made honor roll. Uh, so that was kind of a, a big decision. And again, it, it really didn't work out because, I mean, yeah, Rice, were not a powerhouse, but uh, the years that I was there you know we, were, we we won games we won bowl games we won a conference championship and I mean shoot I think we have like around 10 guys in the league right now so they find you they can find talent
0: <laughs> how does your rice degree compare to any of your other accomplishments it's huge just you know to
2: call myself to call myself a rice alum that's uh, that's incredible uh, it really is you know it's a it's an amazing um, it's an amazing institution you know they call it the Harvard of the South uh, for good reason you know I've met a lot of bright bright uh, men and women uh, down there. And uh, to be able to, you know, have gone to a prestigious school like Rice is, uh, you know, it, it's definitely something that I take, pride of. I take pride in. And I wanna be able to, you know, definitely instill that same uh, feeling with regards to education with my future families and uh, with, with regards to my future family, uh, that's gonna be huge. So if I can get my family to go to Rice one day, that'll be a great accomplishment for me as well.
0: Hopefully on scholarship, because I know it's expensive. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Christian, after four years at Rice, you are drafted by the Houston Texans. That's about five miles down the road from Rice. Was that a dream scenario?
2: It really was. Uh, it really was. I To be able to literally, as you said, move down the street. I moved down Main Street. Uh, that was a great situation for me uh, to be able to have somewhat a familiarity with the city, especially coming in as an NFL rookie. That's a lot of guys. Um, that's something that a lot of NFL rookies have to go through. Was that transition period to a completely new city, completely new environment? And for me to be able to have that familiarity, to um, you know have a group of people that I already know with regards to my former teammates, to have a, a, a you know a st- an established sense of community with people that I knew down there, uh, that was huge with regards to my transition to the pro. So, uh, yeah, it was a you know amazing, amazing opportunity. Grateful to be able to you know uh, get my career started with Houston.
0: Your rookie year was 2015 when JJ Watt was still at the peak of his powers. That was his third year as the NFL defensive player of the year. Describe your former teammate.
2: Oh man, uh, what you see is what you get. He is a pros pro. He's he's able to take everybody, you know, if you if you come in to the organization and you're willing to work and you're willing to put in the time to be able to be a, a true pro, uh, he's going to put he's going to take you under his wing. Uh, and he's I mean, he's done that with a lot of he's done that with a lot of guys that have uh, you know been able to blossom and uh, with that front, with that franchise. So, uh, great guy, humble guy, hard worker. Uh, blessing to have a guy like that, you know, represent the league.
0: Your first NFL sack came that year, your rookie year. The victim was Andy Dalton. <laughs> Monday night football, the Bengals were 8-0 and at the time at Paul Brown Stadium. The Texans knocked him off that night. What stands out about that night for you? I mean, what a stage to be
2: able to, you know, get my first sack. I mean, Monday night football, as you said, it was just uh, kind of a dream come true. I wear this symbol proud now. I wear this symbol proud. <laughs> I'm proud to be a Bengal right now, but yeah, it was kind of a, yeah, it was a great night, you know, something that I definitely will you know, never forget, obviously a uh, huge, huge moment in my career.
0: We're doing fun facts with Christian Covington. You were in Houston in 2017 when hurricane Harvey hit one of the worst natural disasters in U S history. How were you affected? Really just emotionally
2: um, to be able to, have lived in the city of Houston for, you know, during my time in college, uh, during my up until that time as a pro, it's, it's truly, it truly became, Houston truly became my home away from home. And so for something like Hurricane Harvey to affect the amount of people it did, to affect the city the way it did and the surrounding communities, uh, it truly was heartbreaking, honestly. I had, at the time when we, when I was with the Texans, we felt really kind of helpless because we were, you know, it was, we were in the middle of preseason. Uh, we were kind of, we, were, we had just played a game in New Orleans and we were kind of stuck and we were caught in limbo really because we were just like, okay, we can't travel back to Houston. Uh, we were supposed to have a, our fourth preseason game against the Cowboys that year. And uh, so we had to kind of make an emergency trip to Dallas and they switched the game. And then all of a sudden we found out the game got canceled because they found a way home. Um, and it was really just, I, I just remember coming back, making the drive from Dallas to Houston. And we, you just see this, you just see the devastation, you see you know how lives have literally just been turned upside down from an event like this. Uh, it's just gut wrenching. It's heartbreaking. Uh, and we, a lot of us felt helpless because we had families. Uh, we had our families in Houston. My, my family was in Houston ca- kind of caught in the middle of it. They were kind of stranded out uh, in the outskirts of Houston. You know, our neighborhoods were flooding, you know, we had a lot of damage to the, to our homes. Um, it was kind of just, um, yeah, as you, as I said, it was, it truly is heartbreaking. So to be able to, you know, give back during that time and to help out with what we did as a team and as an organization uh, that was huge because it's a great city uh, filled with great people that, uh, you know, they deserve all the help that they, they could get with regards to, you know, the situation that they were you know given. And, uh, you know, we've been, I mean, yeah, Houston's been rebuilding and uh, they've, you know, we've come, the, the city's come a long way from that time. And, uh, you know, we have, but I mean, yeah, there's still work to be done. Honestly, I still try to do whatever I can because I know I still know some people who are, you know, years later they're still feeling the effects of the events
0: christian prior to this year you signed as a free agent with the denver broncos and just as you're getting ready to spend your first year in denver about a week before the season you got traded to cincinnati was it a shock a little bit yes
2: (laughs) um yeah first time ever going through something like that um kind of just had to compose myself and kind of just you know collect my thoughts and collect myself to be able to understand like okay yeah. Uh, in six hours' time, I'm on a plane to Cincy, Let's uh, let's get the ball rolling. So, um, honestly, though, it's everything happens for a reason. I'm th- I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I'm I'm th- I'm truly thankful to God. So, um, if this is where if this is where my destination was supposed to take me, so be it. Honestly, I'm happy to be in the situation I'm in. Happy to be in Cincinnati. I'm happy to be at Bengal. Honestly, uh, it's a great city. Great fans. Great people. Uh, to have, you know, obviously a couple guys on this team that I've I've had, you know, prior, you know, playing relationships with, you know, with regards, you know, you have guys like, you know, DJ Reader who I played with many years in Houston, Xavier Suofilo, who I played with in Houston and in Dallas, and then and then Randy Bullock, you know, you know, up to me, I was just like, you know, this is great, you know, I already have some established connections right here, and now it's just time to go to work. So, I'm, you know, blessed
0: to be here. A couple more fun facts for Christian Covington what canadian delicacy do you miss
2: ah canadian all right so you've never had maple syrup unless you've had canadian maple syrup but as far i wouldn't say delicacy but i will say the number one the number one thing i do miss about canada and just about being home is going to tim hortons that's like that is just huge
0: starbucks Um, and dunkin donuts don't do it for you
2: no they don't they really don't, <laughs> you have to, it, and if you know, like, if you know, you know, it's something about, something about going to a Timmy's, man. It's just like, it, whether it be the ice caps, whether it just be, it's just that you walk into it and you just have that friendly, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, Chick-fil-A down here. It's like, you know, people under, people get like, it's like a certain feeling that you know you're about to embrace walking into a Chick-fil-A. It's the same thing with Tim Hortons in Canada. You know exactly the kind of Canadian hospitality that you're about to receive with some good home, with some good, you know, Canadian home style
0: meals. That's, it is what it is. Final fun fact for Christian Covington, a couple of years ago, the Madden NFL video game did (laughs) me no favors. And I'm not talking about your rating. I'm talking about your likeness. What was up with that? And has it gotten any better?
2: <laughs> oh man, you guys dig. Okay. Oh yeah, that was funny. That was a funny, uh, funny time of my life. My cousin, yeah, one of my, co- my cousin, texted me a picture of my avatar, and he's just like, Christian, they just did you wrong, and I'm just like, what are, you, what are you, what are you talking about? And then he sent me the, sent me the photo, and I'm just like, I look like a thumb. Okay, this is um. <laughs> It's humbling to say the least. Very, It was a very humbling time. And so I just, you know, I mean, I was, I, felt, I thought it was just funny. So I just put up on Twitter, I was like, yeah, why'd y'all, why'd y'all have to do me like this? Apparently, and then, it, you know, it blew up. I didn't, did not expect it to, to, <laughs> to blow up the way it did. And uh, yeah, they were able to change it, thankfully. And, uh, but honestly, I've kind of, I've, I'm at that point in my career too, where I'm just like, every time Madden comes out, I'm just like, I'm just gonna play. I'm not checking, I don't, I'm don't. i good, I don't want any more controversies. I'm just gonna humbly accept whatever my avatar looks like and just play the game.
0: <laughs> the good news is you do not look like a thumb. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> this has been fun. I appreciate your time. You're off the hot seat. Best of luck for the rest of the year. Awesome, thank you so much. My thanks to rookie Christian Covington, and here's a quick reminder to join Lapp and Lance McAllister for Bengals Line, Monday night from 6 to 9 on 700 WLW. Then on Wednesday night, I'll join Lap for the Bengals Game Plan Show from 6 to 8 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, Give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.